Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and thanks for listening to today's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. My guest today is Bill Brown. Bill is the former head basketball coach at Wittenberg University in Springfield, Ohio, and he spent 23 years leading the winningest program in the history of Division III basketball. If you're a numbers person, and I'm not necessarily, but if you are, try these on for size. In 23 years at Wittenberg University, he led the, the Tigers to 12 NCAA tournament appearances, to four Elite Eights, to two Final Fours, had a record of 483 wins and 167 losses in 23 years at Wittenberg. 29 years as a college head coach, he won 543 games, and in 2018 was inducted into the Ohio Basketball Hall of Fame. That's a mouthful right there, and he's got a lot more to say about things that matter a lot more than wins. Thanks for listening to my visit with Bill Brown, formerly of Wittenberg University. Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and welcome to today's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. I am beyond honored to have uh, as a, my guest today, Coach Bill Brown, coaches is, is the former head coach at Wittenberg University, a Division Three institution in Springfield, Ohio. And and as I say, Division Three institution, I, I think I'm short selling things. It's the Division Three institution in a lot of ways. Uh, Wittenberg is the winningest basketball program in the history of Division Three basketball. Uh, in the United States, and Coach Brown served as twenty for 23 years as the head coach there, longest tenured coach, and winning as head coach in the history of a very proud uh, university and basketball tradition. I, I honestly don't remember. I met Coach Brown sometime in the mid-90s, and I've been very, very fortunate to, to maintain a relationship, e- even at a distance, uh, that gives me the opportunity to have Coach Brown on the podcast this afternoon. So I appreciate you joining, and Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, John. It's uh, I, I'm really uh, honored and flattered uh, that you you know wanted to talk some basketball with me, and and it's been great catching up to you before we started this official. Uh, uh, you know, you're a lifer for sure in the game of basketball, and you know I am too, to be honest, in my from my perspective. So uh, uh, I always enjoy talking to lifers. Well, and, and that's been a big part of the reason I started this is obviously I've, I've been involved with, with basketball at the high school level initially, and then I've even gone down and done JV and junior high and obviously worked with some Division three programs. Uh, and you and I have crossed paths in a lot of those different roles that I've had. And so when I started the podcast, it was about trying to tap into guys that are lifers. And, and you know, Dave Fralick was on with me earlier this week, and, and we talked about, you know, there are a lot of guys, it seems like now, that enjoy coaching. But but I don't know if they're coaches. I think they enjoy it, but I don't know if they're coaches. And even though I'm not coaching right now, I'll always feel like a coach and enjoy the chance to, to, to talk about uh, coaching with the guys that have done it for a long time. And the other part of this podcast for me, and I told you this before we started recording, is I've just really started to own the idea that everybody's story in coaching is unique and it's interesting. And, and I like to give guys a chance to tell that story. And if we get it, get around to talking X's and O's and those kind of things, that's fun too. But your story is certainly one um, that is worth telling because of the fact that you spent literally a, a lifetime coaching in the college game. Uh, you, you know, first of all, quick Dave Fralick story. Uh, you know, I haven't talked to Dave for years and years and years, but he's everybody's uh, or he's a lot of people's uh, favorite. I did have one player. Uh, which was a you know a fun player to coach from Van Wert that played for Davis. His name, interestingly enough, was Mike Wittenbarger, and uh, Mike probably graduated from Van Wert back in the uh, you know probably '98 somewhere like that. 
And uh, I can remember Trace went up to Van Wert one night to see Mike play as a high school senior. They were playing a light of back coached by Chris Adams, a Whitburg grad. And uh, and uh, I don't know if they still use it. They probably don't. But they had a uh, cougar head that when they introduced the starting lineup, the starters would come through the cougar head. And we've always had the same tradition at Wittenberg with the tiger head. But, uh, but anyhow, uh, I've just recently talked to Mike again, you know, one of Dave's players at Van Wert. So uh, Van Wert and Dave, they, they always bring a smile to my face. Well, Dave and I also talked about how much, how big the basketball universe is, but how small the circles are. And as God is my witness coach, I had Mike Wittenberger at the ONU camp when he was a little kid. <laughs> Uh, incredible. He lives down in uh, in Mississippi now. Uh, well, no, he moved to Louisiana, and he's uh, you know been very successful in the insurance business, and uh, and uh, so so anyhow, that's it's amazing. So I want to get into your your journey in coaching. You you grew up and, and graduated high school from West Liberty Salem, and for listeners who may not know, that's Logan County around Bell Fountain. A uh, lot of good people. Uh, from West Liberty and, and a real connection to Wittenberg. But when you when you graduated uh, from West Liberty, you, you went to Wittenberg, uh, I think played for a couple of years and spent a couple of years as a student assistant. Is that right? Uh, y- yes. You know, I, I went to uh, Wittenberg and uh, probably the best player ever to play in Wittenberg's history. And there's been a lot of good ones. But pound for pound was a guy by the name of Al Thrasher. Uh, who you know graduated from Salem local, uh, which was before West Liberty and Salem consolidated, and then a teammate of mine in high school, a couple years older, Al's brother Jim went there. So uh, I can remember Eldon Miller, the then coach at Whitmer, coming up to speak at our uh, uh, winter basketball banquet, and uh, and uh, Manny solidified in my mind right now that Whitmer was the place I wanted to be. So anyway, I went to Wittenberg and. Uh, you know, uh, the, the junior played on the junior varsity team for a year, and uh, the next year split time between the varsity and JV. And then heading into my junior year, uh, made a really, really wise decision. Uh, I don't know that there would have been a place for me uh, personnel-wise on the team that year, and if there had been, it would have definitely been in a a non-playing role. But uh, Wittenberg, like a lot of the Division three schools, have you know always had what they called student assistant coaches. And, and, uh, so I went in, in the fall of my junior year, uh, uh, and Bob Hamilton was the head coach. Then Eldon had left after my freshman year. And I talked to Bob and his assistant, Bob Van Poppel about being a student assistant. And when you look back at things, that was a, uh, you know, that was just a God driven, uh, decision, uh, you know, for me to have done because it made all the difference in the world uh, to uh, solidify in my mind that coaching and teaching is what I wanted to do, let alone the uh, the, the uh, solid, solid foundation that uh, they gave me. And you see things differently, uh, you know, around the offices and away from the uh, from a player's perspective. You see things differently. And it was really, a, you know, a, a, a great opportunity for me to do that. Uh, you want me to continue on talking about the well, just back? yeah, just briefly, if you would, when, when you were at Wittenberg and, and knowing that coaching and teaching is the thing you want to do, was there consideration of of pursuing uh, high school coaching and teaching uh, initially, or did you always kind of see college as where you wanted to get to? I guess I really didn't distinguish between the two. Uh, coming, you know, my senior year. Uh, uh, as I prepared to look to the future and all, uh, interestingly enough, uh, I was offered 
interviewed and was offered the uh, head coaching job at Macomb High School up by Finley. Uh, and I also had another job offer at Upper Arlington High School as the JV coach. Uh, the coach at Upper Arlington uh, uh, was Bob Hamilton's brother, Jim, uh, who I just, Jim is just one of the, the, the greatest human beings that anybody could ever meet. So who knows why I made the decision to, uh, you know, go to Upper Arlington and be the JV coach uh, versus uh, getting carried away and and uh, becoming the head coach at Macomb and no deference to Macomb at all. But it's just a fact, uh, if I wouldn't have went to Upper Arlington uh, and the connection that Jim had to Miami of Ohio, where I you know, was a graduate assistant coach, you know, I, I'd have never ended up in college coaching. I, I'm, pretty, uh, sa- I'm pretty safe in my mind of, of saying that. So you you spent did you spend a couple of years at Upper Arlington before you you took you went the graduate assistant route? Uh, yes, I was there. I taught in the business department, and I was the junior varsity coach for Jim for for three years. And uh, uh, Jim always in the summer would work at this uh, you know this boarding camp, this boarding sports summer camp up in Michigan. So uh, and this was just about the time basketball camps were starting. So I also had the good fortune of uh, since he was up there, I had his blessing to start a basketball camp at Upper Arlington. And, and uh, but again, Jim, Jim is just the best. I always kid him, even though how many years has it been now? Uh, 40 plus. Uh, I still know his, I mean, it, you know, coming right out of college, he would not only was a mentor, he was almost like a second father. And I always kid him. I still know his landline number and the address of the house that he lives at, even after all these years. So, but Jim had played at Miami of Ohio. So there was a connection there. And then when I decided to maybe, uh, you know, look into college coaching as well as get a master's degree, uh, you know, uh, even though he didn't play for Daryl Hedrick, there's strong feeling, strong connection there. And it just all worked out for me to become a, a graduate assistant at Miami that fourth year out of uh, Wittenberg. And ever since that year at Miami, you know, I've had, uh, you know, and I, I don't I don't distinguish I, I, I don't put any more whatever uh, expertise, splendor, anything like that on college coaching over high school coaching. The big difference between the two is, uh, you you know, you have so much more time just to focus on the game itself because you don't have the uh, teaching duties and all of that. But uh, so when I say the good fortune of being in college coaching ever since, you know, I say that sort of with with tongue in cheek because I could have been at the high school level throughout too, and uh, and uh, you know enjoyed it just as much. Well, talk about your now you you were at Miami and I and I think I, I'm I'm going from memory on some of this. I looked a little bit up to make sure I was right, but I think after your time at Miami, you became an assistant at Muskingum under under Jim Burson. Is that correct? Uh, uh, yes. So uh, I was at Miami for that year. Got my master's degree. Uh, you know, did a little teaching in the PE department and, uh, you know, did all the basketball thing as well. And uh, when that year was up, you know, looked at a couple jobs and uh, uh, again, just I mean, I, I mean, I, I've had such good fortune and we'll probably talk about some of these other things. But, you know, when you look at the mentors I've had, John, it's just uh, uh, all my mentors uh, starting with Jim Hamilton in high school. Jim's the only one that is not in the Ohio Basketball Hall of Fame. And you know what, Jim, what distinguishing uh, uh, a factor 
accolade that Jim has that none of those ones, uh, those other ones that are in the Basketball Hall of Fame, Jim, the court that he coached at, at Upper Arlington, is named after him. So my mentors are either all in the Ohio Basketball Hall of Fame or they were so well thought of, in Jim's case, they named the basketball court after them. So, so anyhow, yes, I went to Muskingum after uh, after uh, uh, Miami, and I was there for four years. And, uh, you know, Jim Burson, wow. You know, not only a great basketball mind, hard competitor, but uh, a great philosophizer as well, and was really able to uh, blend the two uh, being a philosophizer and a basketball coach and uh, that blend served him and all the people that he uh, coached and mentored very well. I mean, he was a big Ralph Waldo, Waldo Emerson guy. And uh, I still throughout my college career and even now I volunteer coach at a, a local high school here and every once in a while, I'll find myself saying a, a uh, you know a philosophical saying or whatever that was all spawned back during my four years with uh, Burse at Muskingum. You know it's it's so interesting you talk about that because one of the things that Dave Fralick and I talked about was was the lack of mentoring with a lot of young coaches and I've started two or three of my different podcasts. I, I did one with Jody May at, at Albion earlier and Jody and I had gone to school together but I, I basically listed six names for Jody just to get his reaction because he played high school for Chris Adams. He played college for Gail Doherty, then Joe Campoli. Uh, then he worked for Guy Neal. Then he worked for Mike Beitzel. And then he worked for Mike Turner. And, and I thought that that's pretty impressive. That's, a, that's that's quite a group of men to to, to study the game under and, and, and be tutored under. And then I, I interviewed Tom Heil a couple weeks back from Baldwin Wallace. And it was a, a generation removed, but a very similar experience for Tom. He played for TK Griffith at Hoban. He played for Guy Neal at Bluffton. Then he GA'd under two guys. Uh, at Defiance and, and Kyle Brummett and John Miller in reverse order there, and then worked for Dwayne Sheldon. And so it's really interesting to me how many guys in this profession who make it and succeed, it's not an accident. If, you, if, you're, if you're brought up right and you have the good fortune of being around the right people, it really does translate to success most often. You know, uh, boy, just hearing you say some of those names, uh, you know, maybe it's my age or whatever, but I get – and I think about, you know, having a chance here to once again think about the mentors and the people that I've uh, worked for uh, get a little misty eyed because, you know, we all again, we all have our uh, human frailties. But boy, those names you just mentioned. And when I think about mine, you talk about solid people, solid people, not just the X and O part of it, even though very uh very knowledgeable and very creative but just what they stand for in all parts of their lives and, and again that's why uh, i mean uh i can't explain it i i, I it, again I, it's all god driven uh the people that you know that i've had a chance to be around after muskingum you know uh i went to uh uh the college of worcester and uh, Al Van Wee, who's another basketball Hall of Famer, was an assistant for him for a year, and then uh, and then uh, he went on a sabbatical. And that was the plan when he hired me that he was going to go on a sabbatical. His my second year there, uh, he was the AD also, and that he would come back and uh, you know not continue on coaching, 
and uh, and you know I'd have every opportunity to you know become the next head coach. I, so I was the interim coach while he was gone on sabbatical. And uh, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, John, but uh, and this could serve somebody well uh, who's out there you know listening at some point that you know you just you just go on with things. So uh, uh, so I was uh, that second year. Uh, in the summer leading up to the interim head coaching year, they did. They felt like they had to do a national search for coaches, and they had, you know, committee, and they uh, interviewed two others besides me, and uh, uh, you know, and I was the top choice of of, of uh, the search committee and all. But it just got caught up in some politics. Had a new uh, provost who was just hired that summer when the search was starting to go on. And, uh, you know, he, you know, he had his, uh, ideas and he wanted to make a, you know, a, a mark in a particular way, which I won't get into what way that was. And, uh, you know, so he made the decision himself to go a different way. So I, uh, was an interim coach, but I was also a lame duck coach. And I gotta tell you, it was one of the, you know, I've had a lot of meaningful years of, uh, of coaching, but, uh, uh, you know, we had a really solid year, particularly uh, once we got to OAC tournament time. And I could not have asked any more for being a lame duck coach because I didn't really change the way that, you know, uh, uh, at all the way that I was going to be a head coach. Uh, but the guys uh, uh, really uh, responded well to a lame duck coach. So, so anyhow, uh, you know, I've had a good coaching career, but it hasn't all been you know, peaches and cream. And, and that's an example of it for sure right there. And, and, and I think what, what stands out to me, coach, when you're telling that story is, and I say this about a lot of guys who I think have been really successful is the guys I admire are the guys who have experienced a high level of success, but can really, really talk about how fortunate they were in certain circumstances. Because I think if you coach long enough, we've all got things we had to overcome and things that weren't exactly the way we would have wanted them to be. But by the same extent, token having that experience then allows you to really thoroughly appreciate and, and and have a great perspective on the success that does come and the highs that come it's they're much easier to appreciate uh when you've had to go through some of those, those battles and I, I guess i want to use that as my springboard into your time at at kenyon because after worcester the, the one year as a interim coach you end up at, at kenyon college and and i say this because we're a little bit kindred spirits even though the universities are different i worked under guy neal at bluffton college and then Bluffton University when it became a university. And I'm not breaking any news when I say winning at Bluffton is hard and, and winning at Kenyon was not an easy thing to do. And in your four or five years at Kenyon, talk about that experience and what you gained from that. Uh, uh, you know, one, one last thing about the situation at Worcester, not pertinent to Worcester, but just to the situation in general. And, and I know you know this, but just let me reinforce it to any young coaches that ever, you know, listen to this. Uh, one has a chance to, uh, I mean, we all know that you really find out things about yourself when adversity uh, hits you. But I tell you what, uh, you have a much better chance even to shine when adversity hits uh, by staying the high road than uh, than you do when things are all falling falling your way and all. But anyhow, so, uh, Kenyon, I, I felt really fortunate uh, to come out of the whole Worcester thing with a head coaching job, and uh, I appreciate you know the uh, uh, the confidence that Jeff Finnell, the AD, uh, had in me. And my first year at Kenyon, uh, and I use the word players loosely. <laughs> we only had we only had eight 
players, and again, I use that word loosely, we won one basketball game. My first year at Kenyon, we won one basketball game. The first year at Wittenberg, the players won 30 games. So, uh, but, but anyhow, uh, uh, it, it was an interesting year. The one win we got was in the Colonial City Classic, uh, a tournament they used to have at Mount Vernon High School. And probably the only reason we got that that one win was, uh, you know, we lost in the first round game of the four-team tournament. And then the team we were going to play in the third place game, uh, a couple, I didn't know you could get in trouble around Mount Vernon, but uh, their two <laughs> best players missed curfew or something. Uh, before the second day's game and uh, uh, the discipline they faced along with who they were playing, they didn't play and we still took a buzzer beater to beat them. But uh, with those two guys, it would have been an O for season. But anyhow, uh, recruited a really strong in numbers and in character freshman class and uh, real, really proud. And I tell these guys, uh, they're a close bit, uh, close knit group, even to this point. Uh, they're all in their early 50s now, but the, the camaraderie between them. Uh, and I think some of it is not only the college experience and the college athletic experience, but to see how they just stayed the course and built the thing up. Uh, they're still a really close knit group. And we, uh, you know, we got it. Uh, uh, we got it back to uh, my fifth year there, my last year, to a winning season, and they hadn't had a winning season uh, forever. And, you know, uh, I, I don't like moral victories, but in fairness to the players and all, uh, my last year at Kenyon was uh, the year Ohio Wesleyan with Scott Tedder. They won the national championship, and we played them in the semifinals of the conference tournament, and my God. We are ahead at halftime, 51 to 44. We, we ended up losing. Uh, they scored over 100 points, and we were in the 90s, and we never scored that much. I always kid the guys uh, uh, now that, uh, you know, uh, uh, you guys, you got to admit, I finally loosened up offensively. <laughs> and, that, uh, and I have no, I have no idea. It was just one of those, those strange nights. But, uh, but you know, the guys, uh, they stayed with it, and we built the thing back up. And, uh, uh, really five very enjoyable years of coaching, even though the first one was one win. The next one was like six wins. And, and like I said, we ended up, I think at 15 wins and a winning record that, uh, that last season. I, uh, after that, uh, I had just gotten married, uh, and I was physically and mentally exhausted, uh, with what it took to, uh, you know, to, along with the players get to the point to a winning season. And I didn't really think Kenyon wanted it to be any more than that, but it was primarily just, uh, just really being tired first year of marriage. So, you know, I resigned, uh, I resigned at Kenyon and, uh, began a doctoral program at Indiana university. So I lived in Bloomington for a year and, uh, it was a really fun year, you know, get, get just to be able to, you know, regear a little bit, and some of my uh, some of my past mentors, including Daryl Hedrick and and uh, Jim Burse, and those two in particular, Jim Hamilton a little bit, had had relationships with uh, uh, acquaintanceships, relationships with Bob Knight, uh, who was of course the coach at IU then, and uh, that led to uh, Bob was really really uh, very gracious to me the year uh, that I was at IU in school. Uh, he uh, made practice available to me anytime I wanted to come. 
And oftentimes, without me even asking, uh, his secretary would call and provide us some game tickets. So it was a, it was really an interesting year. If I was going to be out of basketball uh, from the coaching standpoint, it, it was a, it was a, a fun experience for sure. Well, and it would have to be, and it's sort of like taking an advanced class, obviously, and in, and just in general, Bloomington's a great area, in my opinion. I've only spent a little bit of time there a couple different times, but really like the area, and obviously getting to experience that would have been pretty unique. Did you have a feeling that at, at that time when you started that program, did you did you think that you wanted to maybe look into the next level of college, Division One, or were you going to going to try to get back into the head coaching. I know you ended up at Ohio U as an assistant, but talk about what you're, what you were thinking about or maybe planning for as you were spending that year away from the game. Uh, uh, first, of course, I got a lot of Bob Knight stories. Okay. Uh, I love them. Uh, but just one. And, uh, and it's a positive one. Okay. I've got some negative ones, but this is a positive <laughs> one. Uh, right after practice one day, uh, Lawrence Funderburg was a high school senior that year at Worley High School in Columbus. And of course, everybody in America was recruiting Lawrence. And uh, but anyhow, one day uh, after practice, right off Assembly Hall, there's this uh, coach's area called the Cave, and I'm in there talking to a couple assistants. And Bob is on the phone, and my eyes just happen to uh, catch his eyes as he's talking, and he rolls his eyes at me. So he hands the phone eventually to an assistant, and he starts walking out. He walks right by me, and he says, "Bill, do you know who I was just talking to?" And, of course, I didn't. I said, uh, no, coach. Uh, who, who are you speaking with? And he said, Fruity Pebbles. Okay. <laughs> yes, you heard me right. Fruity Pebbles. And uh, even though I knew I was supposed to laugh, it was funny. So it was more of a natural laugh than a forced laugh. And he just kept on walking. So after he left, I asked one of the assistants, you know, coach just said he was talking to Fruity Pebbles. What's up with that? Well, you know, Lawrence Funderburg, a great guy. He's been a great humanitarian uh, you know, after his career in the NBA and continues to be that way. But he was a little bit out there and free spirit and all that. So as a result of him being a little bit of a free spirit during the recruiting process behind the scenes, Bob's name for Lawrence was Fruity Pebbles. And, and he still got the commitment. That's really good. <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, you know, that Ph.D. program, it was going to be a three year program. But at towards the tail end of that first year, uh, I get a call from, uh, you know, uh, Good friend, great coach, uh, another mentor for sure, Larry Hunter, uh, who you know was in his final year at Wittenberg, had been offered the job at his alma mater, Ohio University, and he really wanted me to come and and uh, be one of his uh, assistant coaches. And it was it was a hard decision. It wasn't a snap decision. I mean, it, it would have been an easy snap decision given that it was Larry Hunter. But, uh, you know, I got this year invested in this Ph.D. Pro so he and I talked and and, uh, you know, uh, I was brave enough and he was gracious enough to uh, uh, I was brave enough to ask. And he was gracious enough to say, sure, that after a couple of years of really trying to get the high university program and and uh, heading the right direction, I could maybe begin to take classes at Ohio U. Uh, so anyhow, I, I uh, you know. Uh, went to Ohio U and was an assistant with Larry, and it was a tremendous, you know, experience. Uh, you know, I'm just a little guy, little country guy from West Liberty, and uh, still live a simple life. And personally, I like a simple life. But uh, for instance, you know, we're the uh, we're the very first uh, home game for Rick Pitino as the head coach 
at the University of Kentucky. And, uh, you know, this guy, I haven't been to those places, so it was sort of cool, uh, you know, to start out with some of those things. I remember they had a, a, a face fan, you know, one of those cutout faces with a, a fan handle on it of Rick Pitino in every single seat in Rupp Arena, which has to be, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that is pure Rick Pitino yeah. over and over. Yeah. And uh, so that was real exciting. But, you know, then come my third or fourth year, we're out at Stanford and we win the Stanford tournament uh, when Mike Montgomery was the coach there and certainly was uh, certainly was fun. But, you know, it was just just a, you know, I don't want to say another game at that point. So uh, coaching is coaching. And uh, uh, I really enjoyed my four years at Ohio U. Uh, you know, I wish I, you know, I wish sort of I could have stayed another year or two because that's when they really, you know, uh, you know, really took off. Uh, I'll never forget. I just happened to be the first uh, coach uh, when Gary Trent was a junior in high school at Hamilton Township, and had just been tracking him a little bit early on with scoring and all that. And uh, when the re- December recruiting period opened up. Uh, you know, just worked out probably Larry wanted to keep me a little closer to home because of uh, my wife and first child. And so I go up there and man, my, did my mouth drop open uh, the very first two possessions of the game. You know, Gary throws down a thunderous dunk and then the next next possession pops up and shoots a feathery uh, three. And uh, so I got to coach Gary. I think it was just one year. And then, you know, the Shack of the Mac and Geno Ford and that whole crew, Jeff Bowles, uh, you know, took off and, and it had been fun to have been a part of that, but it was still fun to see, you know, what Larry and all of them were doing after I had moved on to Wittenberg. Well, coach, we'll take a, a real quick break because there's another connection for you and I in your OU days before we get into your time at Wittenberg. So I'll take just a, a quick break. And when we come back from that, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up the OU discussion and get into your, your head coaching stint at Wittenberg. Great. Thanks. Welcome back into Talking Hoops podcast. I'm your host, Coach John Cook. And again, I'm joined today by Bill Brown, the former head basketball coach at Wittenberg University. Um, in the first segment, we had, had kind of wrapped up by talking about his time as an assistant at Ohio University and and just the fact that there was a connection for us because I was a student manager slash student assistant coach at Ohio Northern. And three of the young guys that served as, as student assistant coaches at Ohio University during that time, Greg Orr and J.J. Searles and Aaron Holler, all came to Northern to work camp. The three of us, the four of us, myself included, formed great friendships uh, during that time. We haven't maintained as much contact. Aaron and I still still speak uh, every month, at least of the school year. Haven't talked to Greg or JJ in quite a while, but um, it's just, again, a small world for me, another connection between you and I, but uh, what those guys represented about Ohio University and the way they spoke of, of yourself and, and Coach Hunter and the experiences that you, that they got to share because of being a part of that program is something I'll always remember, Coach. Yeah, you know those, those three guys. I mean, it's just I, I just been blessed to be around so many uh, great people, young people, older people, same age people in this uh, journey of uh, coaching. But uh, I still maintain close contact with all three of those guys. You know, uh, Aaron was a. Uh, uh, fairly long time uh, head coach of the boys team at, at West Liberty, then moved into administration, did so as another reason to uh, follow his girls' athletic prowess around. Uh, he's got a daughter who's a Division One soccer player at Purdue now, 
And uh, so I talk with them, uh, you know, maybe once a month or so, uh, more so during uh, her soccer season. And and uh, then uh, J.J. Searles was an assistant for me for two years at Wittenberg. It had been out of coaching for quite a while, but uh, uh, got back in the last couple of years at St. Charles High School. He, the head coach there is a Wittenberg, uh, former Wittenberg player that, that I had the pleasure of coaching. And J.J. has a couple sons who play at St. Charles, one of them. Uh, is going on a Division II scholarship to uh, Ashland University here this coming fall. And then Greg Gore, coach here in the Indianapolis area where I live now, at both uh, two pri- uh, well, one private school, one public school, Ritter High School, and then uh, Crispus Attucks High School uh, uh, downtown. And now he is the athletic director at Franklin Central High School, which happens to be in the same athletic conference as Westfield High School, where I volunteer coach now myself. It's it's great that you've been able to maintain those relationships and and I mean I, I've said this multiple times during the podcast episodes that I've already recorded, Coach. That at, at the end of the day, the relationships are so hugely important in every walk of life, but really so, much more so in coaching, I think. And you had a, a great relationship uh, with the man that hired you at Ohio University, and we lost him just a couple of years ago. Uh, in, in fact, not 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 much more than a couple of years ago. And Larry Hunter, can you talk about your relationship with Coach Hunter uh, and and the difficulty of going through that? Uh, you know, Larry, uh, my senior year at Whitburg in the spring of 1973, uh, he was just wrapping up his master's degree at, at uh, Ohio University. He was coaching at, at Marietta College with Phil Roach, but he came uh, uh, Wittenberg's a full-time assistant was leaving, and so Larry came in that spring, again the spring of my senior year, and uh, interviewed for the job, and uh, uh, I saw him over the course of the two days he was there, and we talked, and, and he was hired, and uh, I, you know, I starting that summer. I mean, I continued on that summer working basketball camp at Wittenberg. And of course he was on board at that point. Then, uh, three years later, he became the head coach at Wittenberg. And, you know, I had a run of working at Wittenberg basketball camps for quite a few years. And, uh, you know, as we've talked, uh, you know, off the air here, uh, those times at basketball camps, the amount of time you spend with another person, uh, both during the day, but also around the dorm in the evening and such, and you develop friendships with them. You really learn a lot about them. And so, you know, Larry and I definitely, uh, grew, grew very close through, uh, the basketball camp experience. But then when I became an assistant at Muskingum and, uh, Worcester, we competed against Wittenberg and, uh, that, that, you know, led to him once he became the head coach at OU to uh, call and, and uh, offer me a, you know, position to help coach with him and, and uh, spent a lot of time with Larry, you know, the time that, that you spend traveling at the division one level, even at the Mac level, whether it be for a uh, game travel or recruiting travel, you're just around the person, uh, you know, a whole lot. And, 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 you know, Larry never ever disappointed me, uh, you know, a couple of years ago at the Ohio Basketball Hall of Fame, I uh, uh, had an occasion to, uh, you know, uh, tell a couple stories about Larry. In fact, this was the year Larry had just passed away, if you can believe this, the day before, uh, you know, this Ohio Basketball Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And it was really hard because uh, Gary Trent was being inducted that year. And I had talked to Larry, you know, even just a couple of weeks prior to the event. And of course, uh, he was going to be there, uh, you know, both because he was an inductee himself from previous years, but also to be there 
uh, to support uh, Gary and for all that to transpire. It was just, it was, uh, it was just, you know, really painful. But no finer human being than Larry. Uh, you know, hard competitor, but low key, always in charge of his emotions. He cared about people. One of the things I said that evening about Larry that just has always, it just always amazed me. Uh, the amount of time that he would spend in his office talking one-on-one with a player. And it wasn't, it wasn't dominated by basketball talk at all. It was dominated by that young person's life, their aspirations, their dreams, uh, their goals down the road. And uh, it wasn't something I, I, I mean, I was always so humbled by uh, the amount of time and the quality of conversations he had with his players. And I know it was that way at Wittenberg as well. So uh, it's hard to believe that he's not with us any longer and uh, uh, miss him uh, greatly. And uh, hope this doesn't seem like a, a, a weird thing. You know, I've hung on to a couple voicemail messages of Larry's. That's just how much he's meant to me. And uh, every once in a while, uh, you know, I'll listen to him because he was such a good person, a good mentor, uh, and a good friend. Well, that's uh, that's powerful to, to to say the least to have that kind of relationship. And and again, I think those of us who spent time in coaching, we often have uh, relationships like that. But but everybody's journey is unique, and the relationships that you build, I think, oftentimes with your mentors, everybody has them, but. You have a varying degrees of, of the things that you experienced together. And obviously the four years that you spent with him was, was hugely impactful. And I know from some of the things that I read, have read that you feel pretty strongly that he played a, 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 at least somewhat of a role in your chance to become the head coach of Wittenberg. Oh, oh he, he, he is the reason. He is the reason. Uh, uh, you know, let, let's face it, my career head coaching record uh, uh, after those five years at Kenyon, uh, including, I think this includes the one year at Wittenberg, my head coaching record was 60 wins and 99 losses. So why would a program like Wittenberg, the all-time winningest Division Three basketball program in the country, why, how could they, go with a coach with a 60 and 99 career mark. And uh, there's only one reason. And I mean, I I don't want to, I don't want to take away from Carl Schreibman, the director of athletics at Wittenberg at the time who uh, hired me. I don't want to take away at all. And I'm glad that he and Larry must've really uh, connected in their conversations about me, but it's flat out a fact. If Larry Hunter, uh, hadn't wanted me to be the head coach at Wittenberg, I would not have been. And, uh, and I know that. And, uh, uh, certainly not the only reason I'm grateful to Larry, but, uh, but, and for Larry to, uh, another thing about that whole thing is, is, uh, you know, we got Gary Trent, we've just recruited Gino Ford. We got some really nice pieces. Things are really going to, uh, you know, really take off at OU. And he could have been, uh, not that I had much contribution to it, 
but just, you know, he was such a continuity type of guy, a, uh, you know, a day in and day out. So he, he, he could have in some way, uh, made me feel a little uncomfortable for wanting to, uh, thwart any momentum, uh, that, oh, you, but never, you know, he didn't care because he just, he was all about other people. And uh, I would not have been the head coach at Wittenberg if it wasn't for Larry Hunter. Well, they may have hired you at 60 and 99, but you got out of there just at Wittenberg. I think if what I looked up is correct at 483 and 167. So they probably made a pretty good decision, Coach Brown. I know you won't toot your own horn in that way, but I'll do it for you. Um, 23 years at Wittenberg, and, and we could do two podcasts an hour long each on just your time at Wittenberg. But and again, I do these numbers just for people that are, are, are numbers people. I know they don't tell the whole story, but 23 years at WIT and, and 12 NCAA tournaments, uh, two Final Fours, four total Elite Eights, uh, a national runner-up finish that included a, a buzzer-beating loss uh, in the national title game. I actually remember reading about that one when it happened in, in 05-06. Um, and and I, I don't want to take away the one difficult memory from 23 years at Wittenberg, but I remember reading something, Coach, uh, back at the time that that happened, that you had made the statement to your guys right after losing the national title game at the buzzer, you're, you, you're talking to your team in the locker room and you talk to them about the opportunity to shine brighter as people in the face of that kind of defeat, maybe than they would have had to shine if they had won. Um, I, I just want to tip my hat to you for that sentiment and, and for trying to to help your young men deal with something like that in that manner. Boy, where did you find that at? I I, I I just remember reading it back when it happened, uh, and I actually went to look for it yesterday uh, because I knew I had read it back in 06, and I, I honestly can't remember what publication it was in. It may have been the Springfield paper, um, but I remember reading it in 06 when you guys lost, and then I, I did literally, like within the last couple of days, went to look it up. Uh, well, anyhow, uh, you know, we that game – we never trailed in the national championship game. We never were behind until the final shot of the game. So it was a brutal way not only to lose a game, but a game of that magnitude. But, but, but anyhow, uh, you know, it's certainly not an original concept, and it comes back a little bit to you know me uh, ironically reflecting on that concept when the whole Worcester thing didn't, didn't work out. And, uh, and so, yeah, that, that I'm, I'm not the only coach that's made that statement to players, but walk out of here guys with your head up. Uh, there's no excuses, uh, to make it just wasn't supposed to be the guy had an incredible shot. There were a few things that, uh, fate just, you know, weren't going to make it work for us. And, uh, by, by being the way all of you guys really want to be when you walk out of here, man, you will gain so much, uh, you know, uh, respect from people. And, and, uh, 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 that's, that's exactly, uh, you know, the, the way it turned out. Well, coach, we, we got about 15 minutes left or, or so here. We can go a little bit longer than that maybe, but there's a couple different areas I'd like to touch uh, base with you on. And, and I'll start with this one, you know, after 30 plus years uh, in the college game and, and nearly 40 years coaching in total, it stands to reason that a lot of young men that you coached or, or some, some young men that worked for you somewhere along the line would go on to be uh, coaches themselves and have success or have careers 
that are successful. And it's a very in vogue thing in the last 20 years or so, or maybe 30 years to talk about the coaching trees of certain guys. But I've just got some names jotted down here of guys that I know worked for you. Matt Croce, Mark Hulsman, Travis Schwab, Artie Taylor, Chris Wilberding, J.J. Searles. Uh, talk, if you would, about some of the guys that, that either played for you and or served as assistant coaches for you and, and what it means to you to see them go on and do the things they're doing now. Well, you know, uh, you know, I, I continue to have great interest in all players, uh, uh, you know, both ones that went into, into education and, and teaching and ones that went other uh, uh, places. And, uh, uh, you know, one thing I've done during this uh, uh not that I hadn't done a good, pretty good job of it before, but during this uh, this uh, self isolation quarantine time, I made it a point, you know, just to check in with uh, with people and catch up with some that I was way overdue catching up. And uh, you know, I, I, it was been so delightful to make contact between Kenyon and Wittenberg, uh, and to some much smaller degree OU, you know, over 140 uh, former players, you know just to catch up, make sure everything was okay. But as far as uh, coaches go, you know, I, when I knew you were going to ask this question, I did make a little uh, uh, list here. And again, I make no special uh, uh, note of college coaches versus high school coaches at all. But uh, uh, right now, you know, uh, Travis Schwab is the head coach at Muskingum. Uh, Mark Hulsman's the head women's coach at Ohio Northern. Chris Sullivan was just uh, uh you know, he'd been a coach in waiting at Denison, but uh, finally Bob Galoni, another good man, stepped down, and Chris is now the head coach at at, uh, at Denison. And uh, Dan McNeely, a former player at Wittenberg, is the head coach at uh, Division Three School Maine Maritime uh, up in Maine. Andy Buhide is the head uh, men's coach at uh, at Heidelberg. Of course, Matt Croce was an assistant for me. Uh, you know, his senior year was my first year at Wittenberg. He was a player there. And then my uh, last year at Wittenberg, he was the full-time assistant. He's the head coach at at, uh, at Wittenberg now. So those guys are the guys. Uh, Jimmy Colleton, who was a student coach, he is a full-time assistant in the women's program at the Naval Academy. Uh, just an excellent, excellent uh, uh, coach. Uh, high school-wise, let's see. Uh, Jacob Daniel is the head coach at St. Charles, uh, Lewis Buzzard at Franklin Heights, Rob Hayes at Westland High School, uh, Kenny Moles is the head boys coach at Fairmont High School, uh, uh, Artie Taylor, who you said you were going to have on here on the podcast coming up, uh, head coach at, at Wellington High School, uh, have a fellow out in, in, uh, in uh, Denver, Colorado, John Amin, who was a student coach, uh, He's a uh, head coach out there. You know, Josh Leslie, who won a state title with the girls team at Ottawa Glen, uh, at Ottawa Glendorf, uh, uh, coaches down in Louisville now. Uh, so, you know, those are some of the, uh, some of the uh, head coaches, uh, you know, Chad Roy, you may have come across this year as a GA at, at, uh, Capitol, uh, uh, so some really good people there had the great pleasure to, uh, uh, you know, coach them and be around them during my time at Wittenberg. Well, I, just for a guy that really tremendously values mentorship and, and 
sharing the game, growing the game, uh, creating uh, habits and creating values in coaches that are that are going to be doing things the right way. I just want to say thanks uh, for pouring into all those people uh, because you know we we talked at the start of the podcast that this game means a lot to me and um, it just. When I when I hear that that long of a list of names and guys that I know, and I have a I have a very close personal relationship with Mark Hulsman. I worked with, with Mark uh, as a volunteer assistant with the ONU women for three different years. But uh, you know I I've known uh, Matt a little bit, Crosey, and, and gotten to know Artie, and it just the, the, those guys are doing it the right way, and, and and you played a big part in that. And if if you don't think you did, just ask them; they'll tell you. <laughs> because Mark, for one, is very forthright about that, and, and, and so that's appreciated. And I, I did want to get you a chance to talk about uh, those people. Now, let's, if, if we can, in the last 10 or 12 minutes, shift gears, because you, you've been now at Westfield High School as a volunteer assistant in Indianapolis, I think, for the last four years. Um, talk about the changes in the game, Coach, and how the game has transitioned and, and, and how we play it. Um, I mean, in your time as a head coach, I thought you had a, uh, you did as good a job of having an identity and, and a philosophy and, and, and coaching to that and being true to it and building foundationally off of it. Um, but the game's, the game's changing undeniably. Talk a little bit, if you would, about what you see in the in changes in the game in the time from maybe just when you went to Wittenberg as head coach to where you are now and what you're doing. What do you see as some of the differences in the game maybe that you like? Uh uh, you know, uh, uh, time is going to bring about change in every facet of life and uh, sports and the game of basketball is not any, not any different. Of course, during my time as a college coach, the uh, two uh, you know, biggest impactful uh, changes that everybody can relate to and, and see visibly was the, uh, uh, was the uh, three-point line, uh, you know, coming into play and then also, uh, you know, the shot clock, you know, when you were talking about establishing an identity of how, uh, how maybe, uh, I thought it was best to be played and it wasn't me, it was mentors who ingrained that in me. It was always, you know, working around the inside and out of really trying to recruit and develop people that could, uh, score and command attention defensively from, you know, not only their own man, but from perimeter people too. Uh, and uh, that, that's definitely changed uh, with the three-point line, uh, with that, you know, the analytics and, and everything. Uh, so, uh, and just the, just the standpoint of uh, people really liking to be, work to become a perimeter player versus around the basket player. Uh, I still think that there has to be a balance and uh, that's why even in the later years at Wittenberg and even with a little bit of influence I've had at Westfield, you know, we will still work with a, a, a perimeter player uh, catching the ball short corner block area just to cry, try to create, you know, some overhelp, get to the free throw line a little bit better. Uh, but n no question about it, the three-point line uh, has really changed things. Uh and there's been a big emphasis uh, on that for a variety of reasons. And, uh, you know, I still, because being old school, I still struggle a little bit. You know, uh, uh, you take a post player who does a great job in a physical setting of getting open in the post just to catch the ball. Now they catch it. 
and uh, they're being bumped and they're being grinded and they, you know, start grab dribble into the lane and then they execute a really great post move and score, maybe getting bumped while they score for sure, having great shot contest and it goes in. You know, I still, from the old school standpoint, struggle a little bit why that's about one point less than, <laughs> uh, than, than a three, but but it's, it's, it's not going to change. And I have come full circle. You know, I work a lot with the perimeter guys here at Westfield and, uh, uh, you know, always preaching to them long twos make no sense, fellas, make sure you're behind the line. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not blessed with much size here at Westfield. So we really uh, try to make the most out of the three-point line to spread people out. You know, the shot clock was the other one. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm really surprised there's not a shot clock at the high school level. Uh, when people ask me why I think that is, the first thing I say, and they scratch their head at first, I don't know if they uh, just uh, eventually agreed to be agreeable. <laughs> but I, I think one reason it hasn't is it's a nightmare for the for the AD yep. to find another person to work along, and it's a very important job and not an easy job, and it's really easy to screw up. Uh, uh, but but I have been surprised, you know. Again, being old school a little bit, uh, I, I'm you know, I, you just you, you coach with uh, with the rules they have, but uh, the shot clock it favors, and the shorter the shot clock gets it favors the more talented team. And uh, uh, I think that the more talented team's got enough advantages there, uh, you know, versus having to uh, have a shot clock, which is going to create a lot more possessions in the game. And again, the more possessions you have, uh, the more it's going to favor the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the more talented team. So uh, if they, if they came up with a shot clock here uh, in Indiana next year, you know, uh, you just adjust and you move on. And uh, so none of it really bothers me. Those are just, uh, you know, uh, a couple of the thoughts about both those items that I have, I guess. Hey, in the five minutes or so, a little more than that, that we have left here, one area where I thought always you were a little bit maybe ahead of your time in terms of coaching philosophy, at least it wasn't as common then and it seems to be more common now, but you always did a good job of it from the outside looking in was you were – you, you were really consistent at getting about 10 guys, 10 minutes or more of playing time a night. Uh, now, college is different than high school, I understand. But can you talk a little about your philosophy of using your bench and playing to your depth a little bit? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, I, I never did it to appease anybody for playing time. Uh, I guess, uh, and you know, what's a little... Uh, I'm not sure the word uh, I'm trying to think of. You would have thought that if I was going to commit to playing 10 players, double figure minutes per game, that we would have done more things up the floor defensively. Uh, but that, that I never really did that. I was always really interested in, in playing really good defense around the area of where the ball is going to be scored. Uh, but, but anyhow, uh, I guess my philosophy was just to promote team. I wasn't going to do it, uh, uh, at the detriment of the team. Uh, uh, I, there's probably a year or two I'd have to stop and think of whether, uh, we shouldn't have played 10 guys. Maybe it was for the detriment of the team, but, uh, but I'm not convinced of that either. 
but it, it really promoted team. Uh, the other thing that it did, uh, it, it really promoted uh, of having uh, too great a fall off through graduation of personnel. Uh, at least when you made a commitment to play 10, you always had uh, experience returning. And, uh, you know, I, like other coaches, really value experience. So, you know, th- those were the two, two things. I don't know that we really wore down other people uh, by playing 10, particularly when we didn't play full court defensively. But I do know that it did. It did promote team competition and practice, and it did lessen a, uh, a dramatic uh, fall off through graduation of experienced players. Well, well, Coach, I've got about four guys that listen to this podcast regularly, and the one feedback I get from them is I pick up one or two nuggets every time you have a podcast, and and, and I think that one may be it because I I do think analytics and and doing what they're doing, we're hearing more guys advocating for you know your 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 top guys got to play more minutes, and and, and again, philosophy's philosophy, and I won't fault anybody that has theirs and sticks to it, but I think there is a ton to be said uh, in today's game for trying to eliminate that that drop off in experience from year to year and, and building in some consistency. So I, I always watched your teams play and knew that that was happening, but never had a chance to really ask you about it. So I'm glad I got to do that. Um, I've kept you on here for far longer than the hour that we had had talked about. So I just want to tell you that I appreciate you giving me the time to do this. And uh, I want to wish Westfield High School all kinds of luck. And I, I hope you and your wife and family stay safe through the rest of this mess that we're in. Coach, I appreciate you. Well, uh, likewise, John, just your uh, your passion, your love, your commitment to the game of basketball is admired greatly by a large, large number of people. And I'm sure some people are going to benefit, uh, you know, through your enthusiasm uh, for this podcast. And uh, and I, I've always had a soft place in my heart for, uh, uh, you know, West Central Ohio, Northwest Ohio, just, you know, just you know, really good people, really dedicated coaches, really dedicated uh, athletes. And it's really been fun today, John. And uh, and I appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, God bless you and yours for sure. Well, let's make sure it's not quite so long before we talk again next time, huh, Coach? For sure. Thanks, John. All right, thank you. Thanks so much for listening again today. If you would like to listen to previous or future episodes of the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast, you can listen on Spotify or Google Podcasts as well as several other podcast platforms. Please review, rate, and subscribe. And if you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at anchor.fm backslash john-cook. That's J-O-N-C-O-O-K-0. Anchor.fm backslash John-Cook0. Thanks again. Hope to talk hoops with you again real soon.